Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Last two weeks, I was focused on prayer and being empowered in prayer. And I thought, let's just keep going on this topic for a little while, um, learning how to be empowered in prayer. And I came across a passage that was in James, and I thought this is a very powerful prayer passage. And I thought, let's be empowered with a powerful prayer passage and learning how to, to pray better. Does anyone remember as you're growing up being in trouble at any point in time? You got yourself into trouble? Can I show a hand to anybody? Yes? Yes. Double hands here. I can see that. Okay. So... Um, when you were young, it's probably amazing how much trouble we got into as young people and as we grow up. Some of you are still getting in trouble, right? And um, even when we get older, we have our troubles, like the man in England who sneezed several hundred times each day. And uh, he was, he's sneezing like that for 35 years. He was told by health officials that he was allergic to himself. I mean, imagine being that kind of trouble. He was cured, though, after another doctor discovered that he'd simply had a reaction to the oatmeal that he'd been eating ever since he was a child. Talk about trouble. Well, not just people having troubles. What about the, in Thailand there was an elephant who ate 50 kilograms of dried rice and then he drank 250 litres of water and within half an hour literally exploded. Talk about being in trouble, hey? Have you ever been in trouble? I remember as a kid when I got in trouble twice. I remember when I was first time, I was in grade one. I was five years old. I still have this memory. I was up at, uh, I think we were living up in Cairns at the time, and I was in the classroom, and, and I got told I was doing the wrong thing, and I got sent to the corner, and I had to stand in the corner for the rest of the lesson and just look out the window. I wasn't even allowed to look in at the class. I remember looking out the window with tears coming down my face because I was in trouble. I remember another time I was climbing on the roof of my cubby house and I shouldn't have been climbing on the roof of my cubby house. And I remember a hand going around my backside at that time and I was in trouble, right? I've got these memories. I can still remember that. And that called for tears as well, I will remember. And apart from that, I was a perfect kid. In our passage today, James starts out by asking a question, is any of you in trouble? Today we're going to look at the power of prayer when we're in times of trouble, okay? It says, and we'll put it on the screen if that's okay, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. I'll just wait. Has he got that, Evan? Maybe not. I'm going to read it out for you anyway. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. If anyone is among you is happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray to, for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, James 5, 13 to 16. So we've been focusing the last couple of weeks on being empowered in prayer. And I love this passage because it not only shows us how to pray, it also helps us determine when and where we are to pray, not only how we should pray. It's saying in verse 13, when we're in trouble, we should pray. 
It also says in verse 13, when we are happy, we should pray. We should praise God. We should sing praises to him. It also says when we have sickness, we should pray. It also says when we're in sin, we should pray. And I think James has related prayer to everyday life for us in this passage because he's recognising that our lives are made up of these situations, of tragedies and unfortunate things that happen and all the way through to happiness and then sorrow and then to joy and, and illness and sickness and times where our sin creeps up and traps us. He's just being realistic when he writes this. He's saying, you need powerful prayer every day in your life in everyday situations. We never know what to expect in life. Life is totally unpredictable, really. We're not really in control. Tragedies happen at unexpected times, don't they? Life can turn from joy to sorrow in a split second. Troubles come upon us. I know over the years that I've been with many people when their lives have taken a turn for the worse, and it's tragic and it's heartbreaking. And it's in those times of trouble that we need to pray. On the other hand, we'll have times of joy and happiness where we praise and sing to God. It's in those times we should pray and sing and honour God. So James is just being realistic about everyday life. And I love that about the book of James. It's very down to earth. In fact, Paul would agree with James because he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we pray in all circumstances, in times of trouble, in times of joy, in times of sickness, in times where we're stuck in sin. So we take a closer look at this now. We're going to break these four points open a little more and see how it really applies into our everyday life. Sound good? Number one, we pray when we're in trouble. We pray when we're in trouble. The first part of the verse 13 is saying, is any of you in trouble? Some of you are in trouble, even right now. And it says, we should pray. Now, what it's referring to here is times of suffering. We should pray in times of suffering. Have you ever suffered? Have you ever had times of suffering? I've had times of suffering. How do we suffer? We suffer in all sorts of things. Tragedies. We suffer in times of grief. We suffer through disappointments. Sometimes you may have been bullied. You suffered through bullying or persecution or sickness you've suffered. Or all sorts of things can create a great sense of suffering in our lives. And James is saying that we should pray when we suffer. It's like that first point that I made last week when I was talking about how should we pray, and I said, just do it. Remember that? Just do it. That was my first practical point when we should pray is just do it. What he's saying here, just do it. How? Pray for wisdom while you're suffering. Pray for strength while you're suffering. Pray for the removal of the suffering. Pray for strength to walk through the suffering if it's God's will. And Peter puts it very bluntly in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering through, as though something strange were happening to you. Again, Peter's saying this is a normal part of life. Suffering is not a strange thing. Suffering is a normal part of life, but it should be normal also for us to just pray, you see. Not only suffer, but also pray in the suffering, that should be normal. 
Hello. There we go. I was speaking with a very good friend, uh, and he's a pastor in India um, just this past week. And uh, a lot of times he suffers. His name's Paulson, and I've spent many times visiting him in India. And uh, he and his wife, they have two children of their own, and they have 30 children who are orphan children living with them. 30 kids plus their own two kids, plus he pastors three churches and oversees about 300 pastors of churches in that region. He's a busy man. He also is living in extreme need. And a big part of my ministry in the, over the last 15 years has been loving them and supporting them and just as best I can. And uh, I was just talking to Paul Senna many times in those conversations. He tells me about the kind of suffering that they endure through as, uh, as he's there with his family and with these orphan kids. And what I've learned from my friend uh, Paulson is that instead of turning to self-pity in his suffering, instead of turning to, into himself in those times of troubles, when I sense that that pressure is on his life, he turns to God and he prays. And I mean, he prays and he gets those kids praying like you wouldn't believe. And God is there. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, pray in times of suffering. Anytime you're having times of trouble, you should pray, he says. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. Pray for God to rescue you. You should pray in these times. We shouldn't just pray emergency prayers and shooting up him an arrow prayer at that moment. We should pray continuously, Paul says. Pray without ceasing in times of suffering. All right, number two. We should praise when we are happy. Praise when we are happy. Look at the last part of the verse 13. It says, is any of you happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Thankfully, we don't always have times of trouble. The fact that James says, is any of you in trouble? And then he goes, is any of you happy? Means that our troubles won't last forever. Sometimes we're just in a season of suffering. That doesn't mean we'll be in a season of suffering for the rest of our lives. There's going to be a time where you're in a season of happiness and joy. So we see here that James says, let him sing songs of praise. Thankfully, we're not always going to have those troubles. Sometimes we'll have success. Sometimes we'll have happiness and, and deep joy. Now, the word happy actually means here it's a state of mind that is free from trouble. So we're going from praying for our troubles and suffering, and now he's saying, have you got a state of mind that is free from trouble? And so you should sing songs of praise in those times. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2, David calls us. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. I love to sing to God. Does anyone else love to sing to God? Some people just love their praise, love their worship. It was always a part of my life. I remember growing up as a musician and when I really gave my heart to the Lord, I, I remember going to study music for the purpose of being a worship leader. I wanted to be a praise and a worshiper of God. And so Christian music has just always been an important, special part of my life. And I just make it a part of my life every day. It just turns my heart toward God. You know what praise does? Praise renews your mind. Praise refreshes your spirit. 
Praise empowers your prayer life. Praise does, it unites us with the angels as the, the angels praise God for all eternity. Praise, it, it puts Satan on the run. Praise does all these amazing things. There's so many great rewards for us as we praise God. And so he's saying, if you, have, if you are happy, if your mind is that of, in a way of attitude of without trouble, praise God for it. Praise God in those times. Um, sing from your heart to him. And uh, I know it will make a great difference in your life. So when we pray, when we suffer, we pray. And we also praise when we're happy. Now let's look at what we have to do when we're sick. Because it says in verse 3, call the elders when we are sick. So I want you to follow along in verse 14, 15. It says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. This passage comes up a lot when we pray for the sick. And it sometimes is misunderstood as well. Especially if it appears that God didn't heal the person. So I don't want you to focus on what God did or didn't do in this moment. Because what God chooses to do and what he chooses not to do is actually God's business. Can I hear an amen? It's not about that right now. It's up to him of how he will raise that person up. But I do want to focus on this passage on what we are to do right now. What we are to do. These verses tell us how a, how a Christian should be and what they should do when they are wanting to respond to sickness. What should we do when we are sick? And here's what we should do. Firstly, it says, the sick person should call for the elders. Now that means that if you have a physical or a mental or an emotional or a spiritual or a relational sickness, there's some problem that's just too heavy for you to bear right now. You just can't bear it anymore. Basically, when you're in trouble with your health and you need help, you can't handle it anymore and you need healing. If that's you, did you notice that it says here that the sick person should call the elders? You actually need to take a step of faith, pick up the phone and call the elder. It's a step of faith. It doesn't say the elders should somehow magically know that you're sick and somehow get in touch with you and because they didn't, then I'm leaving the church. No, none of that. It says here the sick person should call the elder and then the elders, it says number two, the elders go to the sick person. One of the elders can go there, but it's even better if a couple of the elders could go there together because there's strength in numbers as they pray over the sick person. And together they can pray from their hearts and the sick person would then feel the love, feel the support, and hopefully the prayer and the anointing will come upon them and they will be healed. They will feel the love and support of the church too. Thirdly, it says, the elders pray and they anoint you with oil. When the elders come to pray, James is saying here, telling them to anoint the sick person with oil. Now, the oil is not kind of some magical potion. It's, it's just a symbol. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, actually. You know, there's references in Scripture around the oil of the Spirit. And the oil is 
It's like the power of God. It's the anointing of God coming upon you. It's not this magical thing. It's symbolic of the healing spirit of God coming upon you. The oil reminds us that God is here and that God is here to heal you. And I want you to remember that the anointing is always done in the name of the Lord. Because when we anoint or pray over someone, we pray in the name of Jesus. We don't pray over someone in the name of Troy or in the name of the elder or in the name of the church or in someone else's name because that would be pointless and powerless. We can only pray in the name of Jesus because he is the healer. It's our healing is only ever found in the name of our Lord. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Now, the fourth part is that then God does his part. So you do your part and step out in faith and call the elder. The elders come, they lay hands on you, they anoint you with oil, and they pray in faith. And then the last part is God does his part. It says here, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Now, that's a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you say? It sounds like it's kind of expected that this is just going to happen. We do our part, God does his part. James calls it the prayer offered in faith, meaning when the elders pray, they're to come to God with an attitude of complete trust that God can and will do what is needed in that situation. Now, I think it means that God will give the elders a gift of faith in that moment to believe for a healing and to pray for a healing with confidence and to trust that God can do more than we could even ask or imagine. That's the kind of prayer that we want to pray and we want to trust for God's perfect will to be worked out in these moments. And that's our part done. Then it's up to God. It doesn't say how God will do it. It doesn't say when God will do it. It doesn't say if he'll heal miraculously in that moment or instantly or if he'll use medical care or if he'll heal over time. He doesn't say anything about how he's going to heal. It just says he will do it, and maybe he'll do it completely different to how I expected or even prayed for. All I know is now that's up to God, and it's my job to let God be God, and I step out of the picture and just pray. And so we are to pray when we suffer, and we're to praise when we're happy, and we're to call the elders when we're sick, But there's one more part to this passage, which I love. We're to pray when we're stuck in sin. Number four, confess when we have sin. Notice the last part of verse 15, 16. It says, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Praise God for forgiveness. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you see that? You can be healed when you pray for your forgiveness of your sins. It's interesting that this follows straight on from the verse around physical sickness, isn't it? I think it just kind of highlights that there could be even a close connection between physical sickness and spiritual sickness sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. I'm sure it's not the case in all times when we're sick that it's related to spiritual sickness, but sometimes it can be. Have you ever noticed that sin corrupts our heart? Sometimes it enters in and then somehow just takes control 
of us and we start to get worn down and burned out or maybe we start to take our eyes off Jesus because our sin has taken over our hearts and then all of a sudden physical sickness can enter in as well and cause physical problems. And this is in the scriptures. I'm not making this up. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 5. David said this after committing some pretty bad sins. It said in Psalm 30. Is that a bit too loud? Or is it okay? Could you bring me down a little bit? Thanks, Jack. Psalm 32, 3 to 5 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquities anymore. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wow. How important is it that we confess our sins and that it will lift the false guilt that we carry as believers in Christ, as, as saints in Christ. We need to walk in our new identity in Christ. Church, you are now saints in Christ. You are no longer sinners. I heard someone recently say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you are a saint now saved by grace. You are now a saint. You are a saint who happens to still sin sometimes. God has forgiven your guilt and now we hold on to guilt and it is false guilt because Jesus has already forgiven it. So we come to him and we seek his forgiveness. How important is that? Secret sins, they keep us trapped. They keep us trapped from his healing. Our sins can block the healing of God, it says. Is there any sin standing in the way of God's healing and power in your life today? I want you to ask that question. Is there anything in your spiritual condition right now that is affecting your physical condition right now? It might be holding on to some bitterness or some anger or some hatred or some resentment. You're holding on to it in your heart and your spirit and it's working its way out in your body. That can happen. Is there anything in your spiritual condition that is affecting your physical condition? You know, when I read verse 15, I've often struggled with it because it seems that James is saying without any qualifications here that the, the sick person will be made well. Full stop. So let's be honest now. There can be things going on in a person's life that I don't know about when I'm praying for them. True? I may also know or not know the perfect will of God. And when I'm praying, I don't know God's perfect will or plan for that person's life. So I do my best to pray, but God's looking at my heart, but I don't know God's plan and perfect plan. The problem I have with this verse is that not everyone I've prayed for over the years has been healed. Not everyone that I have anointed has been healed. And I struggle with that a bit because I can't fully explain this. There is such a mystery to what I'm talking about today. But I'll give you my best shot at this because if you get to know me, you're going to know that I'm quite balanced in my approach to these types of doctrinal kind of things in the way I approach things. There's some kind of sweeping statements like this in the New Testament and they make some great promises around healing. And I think that they're there to encourage us. They're there to help us grow in our faith. They're there to help us believe in the great possibilities of a God of the impossible who can do these things and uh, realizing that nothing is hopeless. 
that we can have hope in the most dire situations. That's why that we have this, these scriptures that even when the doctors have given up hope on you, we don't give up hope because we believe in a God of hope. We still have hope. So it says to me that I should pray the way the scripture says to pray, with hope and with faith and with trust and with boldness. That's what I should do. I should never give up praying like that. I should never give up praying to a God until he makes it very clear exactly what he's doing. I can totally understand what this is like, having gone through this kind of prayer over my wife for five years who died of brain cancer only a year ago. I've walked this journey, church. I know what I'm saying with this. And I need to broaden my idea of healing. Healing is not just about turning back the clock to a time before the sickness, before they were sick. That's just not going to happen. It's just not how this disease is going to work. You can't just turn back the clock to the point before they were sick. That's not realistic. It's a much bigger picture about God's kingdom I want to share with you. Healing involves every part of our life. Firstly, it involves my relationship with God. It involves my relationship with God. I firstly need a spiritual healing. We all need a spiritual healing through and through. That is most important. And that touch of God on my life will then touch my body and my soul and my spirit. And it will work itself out in every part of my life. It works itself out in my relationships. I start having healing in my attitudes and my relationships and my outlook of the world and God's kingdom in my heart. And my body and my mind are deeply affected by this. Spiritual healing. Healing is not about turning back the clock. Someone has said that healing in the Bible is not becoming what we were but becoming all that God intends us to be in the future. When we pray for healing, we should not focus just on the physical exclusion of just on the physical, excluding the spiritual and the emotional and the relational parts of life. It's a full holistic picture. It's about becoming all that God wants us to be for the rest of our lives. And I guess in finishing up here, I want to say that I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God does heal and he does answer his prayers, our prayers, his way every day, every time we pray and that he often does heal miraculously. And I pray that he will heal according to his perfect will in your life. But the fact is I've prayed for healing over sick people and they didn't get healed. That's a fact that people have died who I've prayed for, for their healing. So a balanced view of this, remember I said balanced view of this, says to me that for some reason, God doesn't always heal the way I think he should heal. Even when I've prayed with faith, even when I've done all these things, even though I think God should, but if he did do that, then no sick believer would ever die. And we know that's not a reality either. True? So I need to understand that there is a mystery to the healing of God. There is still a mystery to this. And I need to remember that the opposite of this is true too. And I know this, as I mentioned, from first-hand experience. And that is, it is, it is often God's will to heal. And that's why this passage is in the Bible right? 
And so we should pray the prayers of faith in all circumstances, as I've said. But we should not lose faith in a God who can heal every sickness and disease and every heart and every sin and every emotion and every relationship, even when he doesn't answer it the way I think he should have answered it. You see, my faith is not built on how God does these things. My faith is built on who God is. My faith is not built on my feelings and how I felt he should have answered my prayers. And because he didn't answer it my way, I lose faith. No. My faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My faith is built on the solid rock on which I stand, who has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. Nothing has changed in him. He is still faithful. He is still mighty, even if he didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted him to answer. You see? We need to offer our prayers of faith to a God who we trust. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. When the great Hudson Taylor, he first went to China, he made a voyage on a sailing trip. And as it neared the channel between the southern Malay Peninsula and the island of Sumatra, the missionary, he heard an urgent knock on the door. And he opened the door and there stood the captain of the ship. Mr. Taylor, he said, we have no wind and now we're drifting towards the island where the people are heathens and I believe they are cannibals. Well, what can I do, asked Taylor. Well, I understand that you believe in God and I want you to pray for wind. So Taylor responded, all right, captain, I will, I'll pray, but you must set the sails. And the captain was agitated when he said, well, that's ridiculous. There's not even the slightest breeze. Besides, the sailors will think I'm crazy. Well, nevertheless, the captain went out and he finally agreed. 45 minutes later, he returned and he found the missionary still on his knees praying for wind. You can stop praying now, said the captain. We've got more wind than we know what to do with. Friends, God is willing to listen to us. When we pray with faith, he will heal. He will touch us through times of suffering, through times of happiness, through times of sickness, and even when we're trapped in sin. Church, let's put some wind in our sails. Let's get on our knees and let's pray to our God. Let's pray to our God. Um, Shane and the team, would you come? And uh, we're going to take a moment now. It's only six past 11. Let's just take a moment quietly and pray. Is that good? Or is that great? It's great. Let's spend a few minutes with God responding to this message. You know, we'll just have some quiet music behind us for a bit, Shane, and then we'll, we'll finish off with a song in a few minutes, if you can do that for us. Now I'm going to open the altar up as well. I just feel led to do that. Some of you are suffering with illness. Uh, maybe you know someone who's suffering with illness. You'd like to pray for them. 
um, come to the altar of mercy. Come to the altar. And uh, let's all stand together as we, as we pray. Um, if you want to stay seated, you can. That's fine. Whatever posture you feel led, you may want to kneel down before God. You can kneel. You can come to this altar. You can kneel here at this altar. Let's just turn this meeting into a little prayer meeting for a few minutes. There's no inhibitions here. You can let go and let God. Let go and let God. That's a good little saying, isn't it? Let go of yourself and let God move in your heart now. If you want to come forward, just come and stand here. Pray as you feel led. I'll come and pray for you too. Thank you, Jesus. Take a few minutes with him. Think about the word. If any of you is in trouble, if any of you is in trouble, you should pray to God. If any of you are happy, you should sing praises to him. If any of you are sick, come and let the elders pray. Call on the elders. I'm an elder here. I'll pray for you right now if you're sick. Just take that step of faith and come to the altar. Those of you stuck in sin, you need to sign up. Come to the bondage breaker. It's going to help you. It's going to help you. presence today, Lord. Thank you for switching over our troubles to joy and happiness, Lord. You've turned my morning into dancing, the Word says. You've turned my morning into dancing. Lord, thank you for that. I praise you. I praise you. Lord, I thank you that you've healed me of my sicknesses and diseases. Thank you, Lord. But Father, we can stand in your healing today. seems impossible, you can still move in the impossible, and you can make all things possible in Christ, who gives us strength. Lord, when we're stuck in our sins, and sometimes those temptations, they take a hold of our hearts and we fall, and Lord, then we hang on to false guilt, and it just sabotages our spiritual life, and but Lord, you have raised us up. You were resurrected over the power of sin and darkness. Death had lost its victory. We walk in the victory of Christ now. And we are saints who sometimes fall into sin. Lord, help us have strength to walk in the power of Christ and conquer over all sin. 
And Lord, if anyone has false guilt in their heart right now, I pray they leave it here at this altar today. Leave it here at the foot of the cross because that's why the blood was shed and that's why we celebrate the name of Jesus today. That's why we call him our saviour because he's forgiven us in all truth, given us a new life in Christ. Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, Lord. We worship you now.